Beautiful Query listeners, I have some very exciting news to share with you. Our wonderful engineer, Jordan Duffy, has released her debut single and music video for her song, No Big Deal. No Big Deal, produced by musician Party Nails, written by Jordan Duffy and author Donna Baines, is a song about politely telling an ex to F off. You can listen to Jordan Duffy's debut song, No Big Deal, on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to music. For more information on her next single, available merch, and for when her full EP comes out, please be sure to head to her website, jordanduffymusic.com. Honestly, could not be more excited to promote my friend, Jordan Duffy, who is a beautiful soul and who I'm incredibly lucky to work with. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. This episode of Query is a re-release because I am in Vancouver filming something. Why don't you check out this chat with Andrea Lawler? I love this chat. Also, do you live in Vancouver? Come see me on October 22nd. Or you live in Los Angeles? Come see me October 15th. Tickets at CameronEsposito.com. I also want to take a moment and thank our Patreon patrons, Robin Moxley, Beck, Leslie Goditis, Chantel McClelland, Francine Balbina, Trisha Thalmeyer, Ethan Peterson, Paula Vavadowski, Caitlin, Rachel McIntyre, Brittany Carlson, Kevin Fry, Tanya Joseph, Stacey, Levon Swake, Pickles G, Jackson Carr, Chloe Vicker, Carrie Boland, Bobby Dahmer, Audrey Rahr, Becky Kalen, Katie Gugliardo, Morgan Friday. I think that's a new person. Jessica Lustig, Danny Elkhorn, Liesel Jensen, Sam Foster, Jennifer Grind, Brenda Esposito. Eliza Dornbush, Mara Barra, Fiona, Catherine Michaels, Amy A., Jen Saltzman, Diana Andriola, Jan Graf Perkins, and B. Aaron Talbot. There's some new names on there. Oh, do you want to support the show? Just go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. I promise you it makes a huge difference in making the show possible. I also just want to tell you that we meet up every month and I hang out with these queeros on Zoom and it's um it's genuinely very special and very intimate and sweet. And um, I feel like we really know each other. So if you are somebody who loves this show and wants to support it and is looking for community, becoming a Patreon patron is a great way to do that. Oh, thanks for listening. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm Andrea Luller. I wrote a novel called Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl. Yeah, you did. And um, and I teach uh, I teach creative writing at Mount Holyoke, which is super fun. Yeah, I've let's see, my second girlfriend went to Mount Holyoke, so nice. I lived in Boston at the time, and you know we drove out there to Apple Pick or whatever, you know, to cider donuts probably. Yeah, yeah. Cider donuts for sure. Um, those are delicious. And then also somebody, what's the school out there where you can like um design your own classes? It's Hampshire. one of the ones. Yeah. Hampshire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A friend of hers had gone to Hampshire, so then we stopped at like the, you know, sort of falling down Victorian house that 
80 people lived in with a free box. You understand what I'm talking. You live there. Do you, you live in? Yeah. yeah, you live in the This country. is my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long have you lived there? Um, we moved here, gosh, about 15 years ago from Philly. And before that, San Francisco, I moved with my partner. She had um, gone to Smith or graduated from Smith. She went there right. a little bit later. And uh, if you if you go out with anybody who goes to any of the five colleges and you're living in another city, you have to expect at some point in your life, you're going to be asked to move to Western Mass. Right. Actually, you know, this, it's a whole thing. this, is, this is so cool because I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast. And I do think this is there's like some real queerness 101 stuff going on here that like <laughs> maybe a younger generation might not know about because I mean certainly people that attend those schools but I just think it's like a I was only aware of it because I went to school in Boston but yeah there's a lot of like especially for assigned female at birth folks especially for like lesbian plus especially for you know that type of crowd this is a place people have settled for a minute yeah it's really um it's a really nice part of it i had i think i had aversion to the idea of northampton like in the probably more like in the 90s and then by the time i was with my partner i was like oh okay western mass that what is that that's interesting and then Eventually, when we were in Philly, she always had that idea to move back to. It's really pretty here, and and yeah, it you is know, really pretty. She, she's from the West Coast, so you know she likes. The, I grew up in New England, so I fantasize about the West Coast, and I guess if you sure the opposite, <laughs> right. but um, it turned out to be it's a great place. I love it, and it is one of the things that's nice about the sort of history of lots of queer people is that we have a little kid, we have an eight year old, and it's just so easy to be a queer family here and you know like wow transish family is really um it's you know there's lots of other parents even in our neighborhood who sort of you know are feel similar to me um our family is like totally recognizable you just go to the playground and you meet people that you don't you know particularly know but they're culturally familiar or you um, you just have an expectation that you're never going to be the only queer family in a situation, which is, that's a big deal. It's like, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And I do, you know, I think the history of this sort of like lesbianville USA history of Northampton, which is really morphed. It's really much more, I think like gender diverse now, Mm -hmm. um, but super queer and really, you know, I find to be a good place. Of course, you know, it's very white. Um, yeah. So as a white family, it's easier, but it's the, the queerness and the sort of like transness is really, um, that feels good to be around, but I miss, I still feel like a city person and I miss Philly. I was and I miss Philly last weekend. I was there like two days ago. What'd you do? I love that city. Um, and you had a show, I, I think, right? Yeah. I did shows there, which I'm not sure if that was the right thing to do. You know, I'm, I kind of booked some things like the week before everybody was widely talking about Delta. And, um, you know, I mean, I just, the safety protocols are pretty, are pretty good for the shows that I'm doing, but it's still like, 
it is, I will say, I find it very challenging to be a stand-up comic who's also like a one-person health department. Like, I'm not really <laughs> sure that that is something that I should be trusted with. You know, like, yes, I can make up what I think the things should be, and then I can ask the venue for those things, or the venue can tell me what they're doing. Right. But like, it does feel a little wild that, like, why would I be trusted with <laughs> No, we're, I know. It's like we're all just it's making like, it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but it, but it, the city itself, it was wonderful to be there. Um, and I really like that city. Yeah. Philly is the best. Did you get a hoagie? Uh, I didn't because I don't eat, like, meat or enough. gluten. So it's, you know, right. that it's classic, sort of a, that's what it is. Unfortunate. Yeah. I think they have... <laughs> They have vegan ones, but I don't know if they have gluten. Yeah, absolutely. You got to really, sometimes you realize, oh, I live in Los Angeles. And (laughs) one of those times is when you're ordering at a restaurant. You can, you would be just fine here. You'd be, you know. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. There was, I was at a restaurant with some friends and the thing that I ordered off of the menu was called the high maintenance salad. I said, bueno. This is exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) So I got to say, um. I love your book. I love your book. Um, I read Thank it you. for a book club that I'm in with like a lot of some like two, I'm in like two book clubs and one of them is at my local library. Oh, and it's mostly awesome. it's mostly like, honestly, like Vietnam vets. It's like the age demographic is everybody's 30 years older than me or like maybe more. They've had really different life experiences and it's pretty cool to read books with them. Yeah, I bet. Um, we don't always pick the books that, like, I would naturally read. <laughs> do, do you guys pick together or do the librarians pick? So I, like, went I went in and they had already picked. Like, I joined and they had already picked books for the next year. Um, but we are reading Giovanni's Room oh. this year because oh. of my suggestion. Nice. So I'm one very of my all-time faves. Yeah. You know, I, and this is, you know, horrifying, but I've actually never read it. And oh. what an well, interesting situation to read it yeah. in is like with these folks who, I mean, it is, there. it's not, um, it's not really, it's the opposite of what you're talking about in terms of, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. it's a pretty straight, pretty cis uh, group of people and I'm very curious to see you know how um, and pretty white so I'm very curious to see how they talk about Giovanni's room um, but I'm in another book club that is truly like if the two if the if these two book clubs could ever meet that would be <laughs> a dream come true because it's like we say our pronouns when we go around right. everybody's wearing a crop top the body hair is all it's in different places yeah. on different people, you know, like it's like, As it will be, you know, the exact opposite crew. And it's that crew that I read, um, that I read, uh, Paul, your, your amazing book. in it. And, um, I loved it so much that it's one of those books. I bought the audio book and I like, I listened to it often. And, um, and Danny, uh, Martinovic, who did the audio book is an awesome non-binary actor. I looked this, I looked them up because I was so taken with the um, performance. I thought it was a great performance. Um, But for anybody that hasn't, and you know, this is, so you're like our featured book for, for this, for this month, because I'm trying to, you know, pass along. Oh my God, cute. 
I'm well, I'm going to, you know, pass along some info that I'm getting from good sources, because I do actually think it is hard to find out, like, just as a human, what, what am I supposed to read? Like, what right. am I supposed to read if I'm a queer person and I'm curious? Totally. Um, so could you sort of summarize or describe, um, describe your book? Okay. Um, I, my book is, let's see, I haven't done this in a while. Um, Okay, it's set in 1993, or it starts in 1993, and it follows the adventures of this college student, sort of not really a spoiler, um, takes a little time off, uh, named Paul Polidorus. And one of the things that's happening in Paul's life is he's sort of coming to terms with being a shapeshifter. So it starts in Iowa City, um, and Paul's sort of, wandering takes him to Boys Town in Chicago and uh, the Michigan Women's Music Festival and um, Provincetown in the off season and then San Francisco. So yeah, all the spots. You got, kind of, got the spots. Not yeah. the Pioneer Valley, but you got the rest Not of the Not the Pioneer Valley. Um, but yeah, so it's, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, sex and bodies, I mm-hmm. think would be the key words. Um, yeah. Well, when you're talking about shape, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I always think the author is the least interesting person to talk about the work, but (laughs) rather what you think it's about. (laughs) Well, I, I also just want to clarify when you say, you know, shapeshifter, um, in this particular book, how it works is that he can physically, um, alter his genitalia and like his, body size there are many queer experiences that this person gets to have um occupying different bodies that would sort of that could fit into those experiences so like he has you know experiences as at like a leather bar and then you know he has experiences um like in you know the Michigan Women's Festival, like lesbian <laughs> community. Right. Um, and one thing that's true is that this character's pronouns stay the same throughout the yeah. whole book. So it's always he. Um, and I'm curious about that choice. Sure. Yeah, that was... So we started writing the book. Um, well, I didn't know I was starting to write the book. When I first started to write fiction, I was... Um, I knew I wanted to write fiction, but I didn't really know how to do it. So I was sort of retelling Greek myths. I tried to retell the story of Tiresias, who's a Greek mythological figure who uh, lives as a man and lives as a woman, cursed by the gods. And um, I don't know. I don't know. He's interesting. He's an interesting character, but I the the sort of plot of that story fell away pretty quickly. I was I was sort of using the skeleton of the myth to really hang these like thinly veiled autobiographical experiences on trying to figure out how do you, how do you write a story? And I thought, well, I'll, I'll just steal the plot. Um, but the plot fell away and the Teresia stuff fell away. And then I had this, what became the opening section of Paul. And I, and I thought, okay, well, I don't know what that is, but it's something. And I put it away. And um, then I, came back to it a few years later when I was in graduate school. At that point, I had um, 
decided to go to graduate school and I sort of, it was my week to submit something to workshop and I didn't have anything to bring. And I thought, I'll just recycle this old story that was in a drawer. And the professor, Samuel Delaney, was like, this is what you should be doing. You know, you need to, you have, I think you have more to say about Paul. You should follow Paul. So I just always do whatever Samuel Delaney tells me to do. So I then did spend the next, you know, 10 years or so very slowly, very incrementally um, following Paul and writing this story. And over the course of that time, so the original section I wrote probably in like 2002. And then the book came out originally with a small press um, out of Iowa City uh, called Rescue Press. And that came out in 2017. So there was like this long period of time where I was sort of like working on it or putting it away and coming back to it. And in that time, a lot of stuff happened in terms of like the gender revolution and and sort of like trans understandings of things. Um, but I realized over the course of working on the book for so long that the book needed to be really looking at a particular moment in time. So I wanted to kind of have the constraint of, I'm just looking at, you know, 93 to 95-ish, um, because otherwise it felt sort of unmanageable and it kind of became, I was like, oh, I guess it's historical fiction. Somebody reflected what, that what back to What was special me. to you about that time? Is that just, you know, in the veiled uh, yeah. autobiographical? Is this like the era that you were having some experiences that felt like this to you? Totally. So I, you know, when I first started, when I first started trying to write fiction, I was 30. Um, I hadn't, I'd gone to University of Iowa, which has like this famous writer's workshop, but I never mm -hmm. took any creative writing classes there. I, um, I thought, oh, that's a luxury degree for bourgeois assholes. I now have two luxury degrees for bourgeois assholes. Um, so I've, I've kind of eaten my hat there, but I, I was trying to, you know, start writing and again, like not really knowing how to write a story, but feeling like fiction was the conversation that I wanted to be in because I loved reading novels, read a lot of poetry um, as well, but I felt drawn to, to fiction. And so I was trying to um, figure this out and yeah, the way, the way that happened is that I was sort of processing things that I didn't really understand in my life that had happened in the recent past. So, you know, why did I hook up with that person? What was that about? And I'm sort of like refracting it through Greek myths. I'm, I'm sort of like fictionalizing it and extrapolating. And, and then, you know, the book starts to, the story starts to take on a life of its own. The character becomes not me as well as having, you know, all of my sort of like flaws and, and some extra, but, um, but also I tried to then think like, what is fiction? And so part of fiction is, is sort of saying like, what are the, for me, the relationship between character and setting. So what are the, you know, conditions of possibility for this person? There's personality. There's like this extreme, like Paul has this special ability, you know, mutability, you know, can, can change his body at will. Um, so that combined with, you know, Paul's sort of like class background and, you know, all these different kinds of things. What, what are Paul's life options? Um, what's possible for Paul to do or think or say? And so, you know, back to the pronoun question, one of the things was that if you're, if you're in the, you know, early nineties um, in the United States, people aren't using they, them pronouns. That's not really a thing that comes later. Um, and in many ways, you know, there was, there was, 
I got a lot of pushback on the pronouns throughout the time that I was writing. Oh, really? You know, drafts of the novel and people would say like, oh, you know, every time Paul changes, you know, bodies or is, is sort of like, you know, we you know when Paul's referred to as Polly, you should use she, her pronouns. And I was like, I can't do that. I, I will like die before doing that, but I can't explain to you why. And it wasn't until I was totally done with the book and my um, editor, Hillary Plum at Rescue, who's like brilliant, just like one of the most brilliant editors. She just, you know, she just said like about a number of things. She just sort of said like, it's fine, do what you're doing. Just can you kind of talk me through it? And I realized at that point that um, what I really liked is the way a, it's sort of like, you know, historically faithful that I'm not coming in with a new pronoun, which I think would be anachronistic and distracting. But also that by the end of the book, I'm hoping that people people's um, sense of pronouns are a little destabilized. So if Paul's talking about his vagina, um, you know, by the end of the book, you're like, yeah, Paul's vagina. Cool. Um, it's It's not so you know, um, pronouns don't feel so, um, maybe informative at that moment and language has a little bit of slipperiness and, you know, and at the same time, the gender revolution is happening. I've, you know, by the time I was finishing up with Paul, I was starting to use they, them pronouns myself and feeling grateful to people who's, you know, who fought for that and who's sort of, um, inspiration that was, uh, you know, and I think I have this character where I'm sort of like trying to destabilize certain things about language, but I'm also really wanting to say, you know, of course, people's pronouns, people feel their pronouns very deeply and, you know, everyone should always respect people's pronouns and, you know, ask in a non-intrusive way or, you know, just take your cues. And like, I, I don't think pronouns are not important, but I think that it is helpful sometimes to destabilize language a little bit. There's a great, Judith Butler said this great thing in the nineties about she'd been asked to go to Yale to um, give a talk, some kind of queer studies talk. And she said somewhere, maybe it was in a footnote to something like I'm, I was asked to go to Yale to be a lesbian or to talk about being a lesbian or something. She's like, you know, I'm happy to do that as long as it's permanently unclear what that means. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! That is a really 
um, interesting and helpful answer. I mean, I got to <laughs> say for me, you know, I'm just a single person, but like reading this book, I did notice and appreciate what you were talking about. Um, you know, I think, I think, um, and again, I'm just a human, but you know, something that has been true for me in like the last couple of years is that um, somebody tells me their pronouns, like that's what I'm using, right? Um, it's not a, there's no part of me that is like a going outward. Um, but for my own self, I think something I have felt like confused by as I understand myself more is you know, okay, well, I've always felt like, you know, I say this on stage, but it's like, you know how like Tilda Swinton and David Bowie are the same thing? Like, that's what I feel like, you know? And there's a fluidity to how I use woman or like how I use she. Um, And I do also, for me, like, I also love they, I love, like, if you're, if we're like in romantic partners or if you're like somebody who knows me really well and you see me as a dude, fucking amazing, you know, like, like totally. that's amazing, you know? Um, and I think in some ways, the way that she does also feel helpful to me, that has sort of come around and like eaten its own tail in terms of like, now, if I'm saying that to somebody, um, especially somebody who's like a cis straight person, I don't want that person to then feel limited in how they see me. You know, like it's like, OK, if I use she and they, even if I, you know, and I'm, not, I'm probably not going to suggest he in this situation to like, you know, I'm, yeah. it's, like, it's like a cross cultural situation where I'm totally. talking to my parents or like I'm talking to, uh, you know, um, like a work call, it's like my agent who's like a stand-up comedy agent and mostly <laughs> books like dudes who right. like have never had this conversation that we're having right now. You know, I'm, I, because, and there are people for whom like they need to say in that moment, he, but for me, it just has a different meaning. It's like, sh- you know, it's like, she but like please don't take that to mean you know this and so it's like it feels like this really long paragraph (laughs) that I don't totally understand how to communicate you know to um especially like I'm saying in this like in this like code switch situation in this cross-cultural situation um and you know so for me when I was reading Paul it felt like a relief because it felt like, okay, awesome. Like this can mean anything, which is always what it's meant to me. And I do think in queer communities, like that's still true. It's just the like, now that other people seem aware of gender variance, <laughs> I feel confused about how I'm supposed to express who I am to these people who like just showed up, you know? Totally. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, it's also really reminding me of how Leslie Feinberg, um, who wrote Stonebridge Blues and was yeah. an amazing, um, organizer, uh, labor organizer, um, 
Leslie Feinberg, uh, like to use um, Z here in more like uh, cis straight settings and she her in more queer trans settings, which I, I mean, some of that language is a little anachronistic for when, when Leslie was alive, but um, I, I love that sort of like pushing on, you know, challenging the group that thinks they know what you're doing um, can also be, it's sort of, it, it's code switching in, in another way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like, I find the they, them pronoun really helpful personally to me. It feels like it's, I'm using language to communicate. I have a, a colleague, a friend who's a linguist and and he's taught me, you know, about stuff like prescriptive versus descriptive grammar. Um, so like descriptive is, is sort of saying like, you know, we, you know, people use they, them as a singular pronoun all the time. Prescriptive is they, them must only be a plural pronoun, right? Uh, so, like, descriptive describes the world as it is and how we use language. Um, uh, and and sort of, like, is, a, like, a more inclusive um, understanding of how language works and it's less sort of, like, follow these, you know, English as a tool of, you know, colonialism, follow these rules. It's more sort of, like, this language is what we make it. And I think I pushed for a long time personally and myself to sort of be cool with she after the point where I felt like that wasn't communicating anymore. And mm. I felt like, you know, I love um, to, you know, I, it took a long time to sort of feel like I, um, to sort of work through like internalized um experiences or internalized understandings of misogyny and sexism and homophobia and all these things. And it's sort of, you know, I sort of like, okay, I could, I, this is a word that could be really elastic and she doesn't have to just mean one thing. And then there came a point where I was sort of feeling like, Oh, you know, I'm talking to my students. I'm talking to other people. What happened actually for me was I had to write a bio that was, um, that was longer than a sentence. And that's the point where you kind of have to use a pronoun or you just sound like, you just sound super totally. weird. So when I got to that point, and it took a long time. Um, but when I got to that point, I was like, okay, if, if you're going to make me say something in print, it's going to be they, them. And then at that point I thought, oh yeah, this is actually, there's more elasticity in here. It's sort of sending up a flare, like whatever you think, you know, you might sure. not know or whatever you suspect you're right. You know, like, I, I think that was helpful to me as a, just like another signal, like in the, in the nineties, it would be like a silent schools, deaf button on your backpack. If you were me. Um, and now it's sort of like they, them in the bio. It's like, this is, you have an idea. Right. But we're all so complicated and nuanced and individual that it's sort of like, what use is the language except to help us find each other and then like organize and you know, I don't know, I think. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, something that's been really cool to me lately is, um, to your point, it's like, if there's a multiple, op like, so it's a paragraph or whatever, or it's even a friend talking about you. Yeah. And then both are used. That's yeah. really cool to me. Like, Super I, cool. you know, I really think that's pretty, that's like, that feels awesome. Um, and I, I really like that vibe. Um, and that's where I am, you know, today is that like, oh, cool, you know, like, 
the talking about, oh, we're talking about the same person and we're using like a couple different words to approach that person. Like, I really like that. That feels like that makes sense to me. Um, It's sort of the, I mean, I guess it's like the op, it's almost like the the opposite of what you did with Paul. Like as like this person's body is moving, but the pronouns stay the same. It's like, I am the same, but like, look at all these different options for describing me. And I kind of like that a lot. So, um, like that's, that's something that's really fun right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, totally. This is, I feel like so smiley getting a chance to talk to you about this. I know, you know, I listen to your podcast. I actually don't really listen to podcasts that much. Oh, wow. But um, I've really been enjoying it. And it's, it's, I especially have enjoyed, you know, some of these conversations you've had with people about like stand-up comedy work stuff. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, like your conversation with Mae Martin and and I guess like performance stuff. It's interesting when people talk about their, their work lives, that's, something I'm really interested in, but I do have that feeling like I know you and oh, wow. this is the first time we met, but it's so, yeah. um, yeah, it feels fun. Oh, wow. I mean, it is fun actually. And, and, um, well, Hey, if you like talking about work stuff, let me ask you some work stuff questions. No, I want to hear your um, work stuff. Okay. but you <laughs> Okay. Well, you can ask me some work stuff questions, but I'm curious about this. Um, how long have you been teaching? Um, well, I started teaching when I started grad school, which I guess I was like 35 or something. So it's like 15 years. Um, so I started as a grad student instructor and then I was an adjunct and then I was a visiting lecturer and, you know, just like that whole game. And then um, I teach at Mount Holyoke now. I've been there for about eight years. Um, but now I've, I've just, uh, after Paul, um, I w- my position was converted to tenure track, which is... <gasps> Some, yes. you know, the hope of the hope of stability if there's still college. Yes. Um, oh, that's amazing. In the future, if uh, <laughs> I've been reading a lot of uh, Kim Stanley Robinson lately, and I'm in a very sort of like <laughs> climate focused place. But yeah, I've been teaching for a long time, and um, yeah. Well, some of this. So what's you know what's interesting to me about that is that um, I would have been in college, like, I guess 20 years ago. Um, and then, uh, in this last year took some classes because I was, Oh, right. My my tour stuff was canceled and I was like going back and taking master's level classes in theology. I just wasn't sure what would happen with that. We still don't know. The jury is still out about where those classes will impact me right now. I think it's like, I think it was a forgiveness path for me, and I'm really mm. glad that I was on it, able to sort of be in those spaces. But anyway, it's just been really interesting. Like, that was my experience in academia. It's like 20 years ago, and then this right. year. Like, that's my experience. <laughs> right. um, and especially also in a theology class, like, it's like, there's some of those were like really out there punk rock, like, you know, um, leftist theology shit, which is the stuff I like. Uh, so maybe I would have gotten a little bit of it, but like, I'm assuming Mount Holyoke and like, you know, some of the places you're talking about, like even, even studying at Iowa, like these are places where, um, you're interacting with people who are like, that's like the forefront of some, 
social change, like the students who are there, you yeah. know? And um, I'm curious about what you've seen. You know, here's, we're talking about these experiences. But like, for instance, I know that Mount Holyoke is one of those places where it's like, is it even, is it still called a women's college? Or like, what is the terminology right now? Because I know yeah, it's a good- that there are different, you can have a different... Um, license for instance the driver's license and like enroll these days at least I think oh yeah yeah um so mount Holyoke, you know historically has been a women's college and um i'm not sure what the official terminology it's like is we have we don't even have the the admissions the-, <laughs> the admissions policy is really cool because it's um really open to anyone who uh doesn't identify as a cis man cis dude got it so it's the the thinking, you know, as far as I can understand it, is that um, the role of women's colleges historically was to make a space for people who were whose learning was impacted by gender oppression. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't trans and non-binary and genderqueer and whatever language you want to use, why wouldn't anybody who's sort of under that umbrella also need that kind of attention. I mean, you know, I think there, there are a lot of um, trans and non-binary and queer students at Mount Holyoke and faculty and staff as well. Um, And, you know, I think that's more and more true generationally with traditional age college students, um, people identifying much more, you know, fluidly. um, Yes. And which is, you know, really exciting. I feel like we're in a kind of like snowballing moment of of cultural change around gender. And it's, yeah, that's really, it's so, it's wonderful to be around um, college students and really great colleagues who are thinking about these things and in a place that feels like really um, supportive of people's learning in that way. Yes. You know, so it's, <laughs> I think what's so wild about sort of the thing that you're describing is, and I talk about this so much on the podcast, but, you know, the generational, um, these like micro generations in yeah. the like LGBTQ plus experience where being two years older or, ha- you know, being <laughs> in high school instead of college during this event or being like in the working world instead of you know, middle school, it's like, it's a totally different um, orientation toward other people, toward like the government, toward, you know, our own families sometimes even. Totally. Um, and I'm, and, and most queer folks don't have contact with this younger generation, like the way that you would. And I'm curious what that is like for you, because I think a lot of times there's this almost tension between like, and I mean, this is true in the world in general, right? It's like the grumpy old man yelling at you to get off their lawn sort of a right. vibe, but like, but put into really different terms, that would look something like, man, we fought for your right to this. And now you're out here, you know, <laughs> TikToking around or whatever. And I, but, but those are people who it's usually such a distant relationship. And I would imagine it's so different for you. So what is that like? Well, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's great. I mean, I think it's really invigorating to be around people of lots of different generations, queer and trans people, 
you know, of lots of different generations. Um, I kind of came out into queer life really, I mean, I was, you know, I knew I was queer much earlier, but um, my sort of like entry into queer public life was really through ACT UP and Queer Nation and these sort of like late 80s, early 90s New York activist worlds where things were really intergenerational, coalitional, you know, people mm-hmm. from lots of different groups coming together to fight, you know, right. a common enemy and like fight for a common goal. And that is sort of been my understanding. I think that was really, you know, generationally defining and also coming, coming of sort of like coming of age in the, in the sort of like height of the AIDS pandemic in the U S at that moment, sort of that feeling of the connection between sex and death and, um, Wow. And we lost so many people, um, really like a generation older than me and and in my generation. Um, you know, I think that there's a real sort of like I had as a young person, like as a teenager in ACT UP, I had that feeling of being really taken seriously and accepted more queer nation than ACT UP, but like really taken seriously and accepted as a young person who was part of a community and had something to offer. Wow. And I remember the first time um, somebody asked me and my roommate, to be the people who were like facilitating a queer nation meeting. And we were like, you know, 17 and 18 or something. And they just like hand us the mics and, and you, it was just like kind of a rite of passage, but you were sort of mentored through it. And they, they weren't like, Oh, just sit back kids and listen. They were like, everybody can help. Oh my gosh. So I think that for me was sort of like an orientation towards like being really interested in older people and interested in younger people. Um, and so that never, so when I started teaching, I was like, oh, I love this. Like, it's kind of like bartending. It's kind of like working in a bookstore. Um, <laughs> you know, like you meet a lot of great people and you talk about books with them or or whatever. <laughs> um, so that's really fun. But, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's great to be around younger people. is so different from my experience. And I do think a lot of it has to do with, uh, yeah, the moment that we came of age, because like, you know, I graduated from college in 2004, which is right in that moment of like, we were (laughs) about to work on marriage, but like the AIDS crisis was not like, that was, that was still not over. It's still not over, but it was not what we were even uh, nationally, yeah. it was not what we were talking about. Um, we were about to go into like a massive recession and the folks who had like fought in the types of things that you're talking about, those folks were like attempting to protect, you know, their livelihood as sort of one of the first generations that could like be at all out and like have a livelihood, you know? and then. We hadn't quite got to where we were, where we are now. There was like then, anyway, I just feel like the Obama years were a lot of white people sitting the fuck down for a while (laughs) Um, and like sort of being stoked on their bank accounts and like (laughs) chilling out. And like, that's sort of what I entered the, you know, the, the, yeah. It was sort of like a um, not in my backyard vibe was what I saw 
from older generations when I was like. Yeah, queer people. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, you were talking about Boys Town in Chicago. Like that's what was in the, the newspaper was writing about how like the white gay men, the white cis gay men in Boys Town did not want the black trans youth there seeking services from the service providers that, that had, you know, during the height of the like eighties and nineties, you know, had been serving them. These, then these white men were like, we're actually chill now. So if you could just have this be right, you know, Ugh. not that that we're not like a if if you could just have it so that service be, services being provided is like not what's going on in our neighborhood. That would right. be like that. And then that's when I was you know entering the, right. the queer community. Um, so what you're describing is it's I missed that first thing. And so to me, like what's happening now in terms of this gender revolution, like this is a different thing because it feels cross-generational and, and, um, I just haven't experienced that before. Yeah. It's so good. Yes. Certainly better than that other one. That right? other one, that, that other, other sucked. yeah, that other one really sucked. Yeah. Is there any shit that when you read it, you feel like I felt when I read your book, which is, oh my God, thank God this exists. What, what do you read yeah. to feel that way? Yeah. Or what like, have I you just, read to feel I'm, that way? Poof. Um, that's such a hard question, but that's a fun question. Again, former bookseller, all I want to do <laughs> is talk about this and then actually kind of hand sell you some books. Okay, um, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been actually, I, um, I've been on a really fun kind of reading jag lately, reading novels and, and books, you know, just for, for pleasure. Um, and for like no end. And that's been really nice, like taking mm. a break from sort of reading things I think I'm going to teach or reading things that are great, but then I'm going to write a blurb for or reading things for these purposes. Um, I'm really enjoying this sort of like just pleasure reading. Um, but I I mean, I really found myself in books like that was always the thing for me. So from a very young age, you know, like a boy's own story, the Edmund White book was like, I put that in Paul. A lot of my, my history I put in Paul. Um, Like that was, I snuck read that at the Waterbury public library. Um, In growing up, I was like, you know, 12 years old. And I'm like reading in the stacks about this little gay boy. Um, I, I think, you know, I started seeking things out in the old paper card catalogs and going to HQ 76 in the library when I got to college. But it was always this sort of chain of things. Like I had this issue of the journal Plowchairs. Um, I think it was like 1987 or 1989 or something. And it was Marilyn Hacker edited it and it was called Diversity Adversity. And it was one of these things that we're sort of, you know, used to now, but it was really a lot of different marginalized writers. Um, and it was mostly poems. And I was sort of going through it and I would be like, oh my God, that person's writing about queer things. And it'd be like Eileen Miles or... Samuel Ace or, you know, anybody, I then would go and find their books and, and kind of like that took me on a kind of a trail to find more and more sort of like literary lineage. And that, um, has been like the shape of my life, you know, there's the kind of, I read, um, Stone Butch Blues when it came out, I think that was like 93 or something. And, and like many people, I had a sort of like a deeply felt experience of, oh, that is me. Um, 
which I'd also had with The Well of Loneliness, which I read in high school, which is a terrible thing to read in high school. I don't recommend it. Um, yeah. But I was also absolutely. like, yes, um, dates to watch out for. You know, those things were early moments of sort of feeling like I could see myself. Um, and then lately I've been reading things that are so compelling. Um, there's a cartoonist or a graphic novelist, uh, Bishak Som, who's written a couple of, of amazing collections that just came out on Feminist Press. One of them is called Spellbound, and it's her sort of, it's a really imaginative graphic memoir of um, grappling with gender stuff. Oh my so God, it's so good. This. And then, I mean, she's just a beautiful, I love her drawings very much. She's an architect as well, so she's got these really crisp lines um love comics uh you know i think um i just read this great book by jackie s called daryl i read it yesterday i just didn't do anything i was supposed to do and i just read this fantastic book um that was it's, a, it's like a very sort of um mind-blowing uh first person novel from the point of view of a guy who identifies as a cuck which is a very specific sexual subculture um and it's written by a author a trans woman author who is so smart and such a fantastic observer of um interaction and dialogue so like that kind of thing i'm i'm sort of feeling like oh wow okay you know the the things that people are writing right now that are um, not like trans or non-binary or queer people sort of writing um, things that are not necessarily thinly veiled autobiographical fiction or not necessarily memoir. Um, that's thrilling to me. I love the other stuff too, but, you know, reading something like Tori Peters' Detransition Baby, um, that's really exciting where it's sort of like, here is just, here is a novel of ideas and characters. And it's of course coming from the, the author's lived experience and observation, but it's also like very much not, you know, it's very right. much a novel. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. That's, I'm feeling that really loyal. seen by that possibility um, mm -hmm. and sort of feeling like, Oh yeah. Okay. So like, I don't know what, you know, the next book that I've been thinking about writing that I, I've started, you know, while I was finishing Paul, I was starting this um, series of prose poems that are sort of like in this near future seceded uh, anarchist utopian Western mass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. So great. like a series of pro po prose poems with like no characters. Um, so super commercial. Uh, really Absolutely, a yeah, very big book club book. Uh, but you know, I'm sort of feeling like, oh, okay, like what, what writers, what queer writers, what trans writers, what writers of color are writing about climate change? You know, and that's really yeah. exciting that we can write about so many things, and there's you know, an audience for that and discussion possible. And I don't know. Yeah, I you know I think. Is this also part of the distinction that you're talking about, which is, I think what you're describing is like literature, like you're describing, <laughs> yeah. well, I just mean, um, you know, if I think about like a, you know, a 
what I've been reading in the last um, year, and it feels like it's a lot more, um, there's just a lot more like fucked up and interesting and sexy literature, which I don't totally. think that as queer folks, we got that much of in the past. You know, I mean, I have read The Price of Salt and listened to it and like, you know, read the script adaptation and like seen the movie Carol a bunch of times, you know, like it's like, <laughs> yeah. we, we just, I rung, I rung all of the, I rung everything out of it because it was That's one good. thing that existed, you know? Right. Um, but even that it's like, okay, there's like a husband involved. It's right. Like a, you know, there's like a, it's just like stuff that, um, it's not really where I'm at. Um, and so it's been really cool to, yeah, it just feels like this moment of explosion around, yeah, around things that are not, yeah, that are not memoir, that are not like sad, that that are, uh, that take place in a magical world called literature. That That's like the <laughs> stuff that I read for straight people and, you know. Right. And. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something. Them forever. <laughs> totally. Yeah. What's that like? I mean, I do feel like there's something about you know, like there, there's a freedom in that sort of feeling like art can be messy and unreasonable. It doesn't have to be some like really well-structured, fully cited argument. It's, it's, you know, you, you make a thing and you put it out there and people have a response to it. Um, I, I like to have that kind of response to art sort of, you Mm. know, find something like that is speaking to me and I don't necessarily have to know why. Um, Mm-hmm. So that feels really, that feels really important. And I also, you know, on on a parallel track, I'm always sort of still like inhaling like these life stories and it still feels important to feel like, what is it, you know, um, what is it like to be another person at this time? What is it mm-hmm. like to be, what was it like to be, you know, a trans masculine person 50 years ago? Like what, you know, anachronistic term but still you know i think it's um it's just yeah we we want those kinds of reflections but then the the messy kind of unreasonableness of art is is sort of like the the bread and roses yeah so and and it's funny i mean i don't know how many times you've said the word anachronistic term oh, God, like i understand sorry. why and i'm not i'm not tracking that like to say no, but it, it's making me think of the fact that you are teaching people and I'm assuming that you're teaching things that fall into the categories of art that we're talking about. And, you know, I know that I have a difficult enough time, like trying to have a podcast where, well, the good news is I have a little disclaimer at the beginning and it says like, you know, Hey, we don't know what the words are and everybody's just saying what they think they are. But I would imagine that maybe you're in a situation where, you're kind of supposed to know what the words are. I mean, I think, you know, we can only just be people, right? Like we can just have some attempt at humility and say like, if I get it wrong, you know, I've had students say like, I don't know about using that word. And I've had students um, have a hard time with the word queer. And that's kind of hard because, you know, queer studies is a fairly institutionalized academic field. Um, I teach a course right. called Queer and Trans Writing. And I, you know, I have, I sometimes have a student who shows up for that class and has trouble with the word queer. And because of the, 
Can I just ask you a question about is it is it because of the like the crossover with a slur or is it yeah yeah, that yeah I don't even know about okay. I think it, yeah. it's it's the it's the sort of sense that that's a slur Got um it. and you know I I have a different experience partly from being you know right. around in a moment where the reclaiming of the word queer right from the slur became then sort of like became institutionalized you know and is pretty right. I I find it to be like a pretty much of a non-issue, but I I can respect that everybody has different sorts of experiences with things. But I just try to um, just hear what what other people have to say and and try to keep up, and also like let myself off the hook if I'm if I'm not getting everything right. Like you can just apologize and learn what and Wait. move on. <laughs> Wait, what's right. takes no, so much less the, time? You let yourself <laughs> off the hook. Well, that's that a sounds hard one. that sounds right. I mean, I I just you know I know that. I know this is something that that I think a lot of times there's been a conversation about this in a sort of a more social media space, which is like so the opposite <sighs> of um, tender, you know? And so when people are even talking about, not not just like the corrections, but even talking about the concept of like, I don't know what words I'm supposed to, it's just like a, not a tender space. So it doesn't, totally. it's not an easy place to, um, I think, have some of these conversations that are really good to just say out loud, you know, between you and I, because I know there are so many people listening who are like, you know, I was, where was I? Oh, this is like right before the pandemic. I was like visiting at a university and had like a round table with some students and they were, somebody asked me about using the word lesbian, like, which I don't even think I had used, but it was just like, they were like, from your work, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Quoting you, you know, yeah, from your work, uh, lesbian. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a word that I still feel like some affinity for. Uh, it's, it's not um, it's not like my word or the word, you know, and like, please, you know, what are your su- suggestions or like, what are you using? You know, just interested oh about what, what's up for you, because I, you know, for me, still something that works and in a bouquet of other things that work. Um, you know, so totally. Like, I like that bouquet. Yeah, um, you know, I'm going with for right now, any and all for a lot of in a lot of for a lot of things. Um, totally, I love it. I, I actually now I'm going to quote something back to you that was on one of your episodes. You had Mae yeah. Martin, who I'm low key obsessed with, um, and you guys. That episode was so fun. Like you guys really seemed like I was like, oh, I'm just listening in on somebody's. Yeah, trip. I think we like each other. Um, it's really nice. That had such a good feeling, but I think you asked them how they identify and they're like, I don't know. And I was like, I love you. Um, you know, like I feel that way all the time. I'm just like, oh, okay. You want to put me in the category non-binary? Sure. Cool. I'll take it. I don't know. I don't know that I would choose that word. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's great. Maybe. What? What's next? I'm I'm still open. I, I like queer, but um, just because it, it it's less gendered and... Um, you know, it gets at something that may still be a little bit oppositional, but I also feel like really interested in, yeah, what do you got? Maybe this is too personal. So feel free to say, no, no, bye-bye. But this is, <laughs> this is the right question to um, ask somebody when there's like two minutes left. But okay. do you have a thing that your child calls you? Oh, um, yeah, well, right now my child primarily calls me Bobby. 
um, or Bob's, which uh, it started out as Baba, which was a name that we kind of came up with um, some other uh, people who identify more in the sort of like, I don't even know what felt similar. We're using that. It's a parent name or a grandparent name or a, um, it's a name in a lot of different languages for usually a father, but sometimes a grandmother, um, sometimes a, a kind of like a vuncular figure. Uh, so we went with that, um, primarily because a lot of other, um, parents were doing that, that we knew. And it felt to me, it felt important to be part of a group. Um, but I, I kind of feel a little bit like I like, I like Bobby a little bit better somehow. Um, you, you've talked about having kids maybe. Have you thought about yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, this is this is why I ask, because otherwise we don't know, you know, what our options are. Um, and this is something that, and does does your child call their other parent a different thing? Oh, my my girlfriend is like the mom, mom and Bob's. mommy, and Bob. mama, all the oh. mom words. She's yeah. the mom. Um, but we actually, there's a lot of families in that. We have a lot of like mama, baba families in our uh, neighborhood and, and kind of like friend group. So that's, it makes it nice because it's sort of like, oh, there's another baba. It's not like. Wow, there are other baba. Now. Like that is actually really cool. What you're just describing there. Because I do think that um, just by the particular nature of like where I am in my friend group, I don't have a ton of um, this person is this, this person is this thing where there's a any sort of uniformity between like what, what you're describing. Um, so I think that's very cool to hear to hear this this tell of that there's a community of babas. That's very, very cute. It's going to get you through the whole day. Are you kidding? That's adorable. I love Aww. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny that you asked if it was okay to ask a personal question. I think I, one of the things I sort of, I, I, we're running out of time, but I, I had been wanting to talk to you about what it's like to talk about your personal life as your work. Oh, terrible. Because I, I sort of feel like I have this dodge of fiction, right? And so like, what is it like? Like, I really appreciate it as a listener or a reader, yeah. you know, or sort of consumer of your work. But then I'm like, what is that like? Um, I'll, do, I'll take this question. You know, I think... Um, Will you? Okay. I think it is a... Where I'm at with it right now is that it is an... It is a coping mechanism that allowed me to survive my teens and 20s and 30s because I didn't have a ton of safe places to talk about what was going on for me. And the easiest way to do it, like actually from a safety perspective, is like tell everybody and then nobody can hurt you. Like physically, you know, nobody right. can hurt you. physically, you can't be like kicked out of school in this situation. If just everybody knows um, then it doesn't have to be a secret that could um, harm you, you know? And I think where that really affected me the most was just in my ability to develop intimacy with people because I was so um, worried about being harmed that, you know, it was it was this great thing. I'm so glad that I had those skills because, like, I didn't die. And now that I have, like, some better coping skills and other things in my life, you know, I think... 
I do think that conversations like this are really important. Like they're so important to me. It makes me feel like a better person in the world. I can't believe I get to know you and talk to you and that I get to like love your work so much and that we can just talk to each other. It's incredible. Can't believe this job exists. Um, That's one thing. But you know, as a second thing, I need to be able to like, it's so great to be able to ask questions like this. I'm like, what are you call Like, what does your child call you? And then, you know, I know there's people who listen. They have the same questions. I think where I am right now is trying to understand like how much of my personal life do I need to carve out for just me? Um, and it's a different yeah. amount than I used to need to, you know? So that's, that makes sense. I think, right? Like as an, totally. as any artist is evolving in like their medium or their scope or, you know, prose or poetry, things like that. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it's like. What it's like is, uh, shifting boundaries. Yeah. It would get repetitive to do the same thing. Yes, it would. The whole time. Yes, it would, my right? friend. We're not trying to do the same thing. <laughs> and then, yeah, no, we're trying to do new things. Yeah. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. That was so fun to talk to you. And we're going to get to talk to each other twice. <laughs> I know. I can't even believe it. I was like, that's yeah. cool. It's, it's like really a warm up. Cool. Um, thank you so much. I would tell anybody, you know, to read your book. But one thing that I'm truly excited about is that my my mother, is um reading a lot what? of my book club books. And so I wow. okay. am, I'm completely thrilled and I hope that she reads this one. All right. Well, cool. <laughs> um, hi to your mom. And this was not I suggested. Usually, moms usually like yeah. me, but I, you know, like I told my parents, this don't was read not my suggested. Book. Sometimes Please you don't read my let book. go of control if you're me and say, you know what, mom? That's true. Right. Absolutely. It's public book club. Go for it. And yeah. I hope that any. Anybody and also, join. like, she's loving the books. So what do I fucking know? That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Anyway, um, you're yeah. a delight. And I'm going to talk to you again. And thank you so much for being. Yay. I guess. See yeah. you tomorrow. <laughs>